Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Miles Anderson, founder and CEO of Bright Local, a marketing technology company whose suite of local SEO tools are used by over 90,000 customers. Miles shares with us his keen insights on how he built this now 190-person company from scratch and with very limited capital. He's been able to scale consistently and profitably each year and puts people first in his approach to business. We hope you enjoy the show. Miles, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Maybe what we could do to kick off for the benefit of our audience is hear a little bit about your background, and then we'll start yeah. talking about Bright Local. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on today. It's always nice to talk to new people, a bit on the other side of the pond. So yeah, my name is Miles Anderson. I'm the kind of co-founder and CEO of a company called Bright Local. We're headquartered over here in the UK, in Brighton, which is in the south coast, just sort of south of London. We've got an office here. We've got an office, our kind of engineering department is in the kind of in Kiev in Ukraine. We've got a sort of business process outsourcing office in the Philippines as well. And we're about 190 people kind of globally now. I actually had a, a stint working for eHarmony when they launched in the UK. And that interestingly actually gave me some real visibility, understanding of the power of a sort of SaaS model in terms of kind of subscription revenue, just how effective that could be at generating revenue over and over again, as opposed to a time materials model that a sort of agency is. We actually started off life as a kind of media agency, helping local businesses sort of solve their challenges of embracing digital media. Quickly realized there are a number of ceilings there in terms of our capacity to kind of grow, started developing our own software, realized there was actually a bigger opportunity in reselling the software in a kind of SaaS capacity and essentially kind of pivoted to become essentially what is kind of bright local today, which is a kind of SaaS offering with some sort of services, done for you services on top of that. You know, it's a great kind of evolution of how you were over time seeing where the need was and kind of evolving the business to meet that need. There's a couple of things that are really interesting here. One is how you've built the business, meaning it's a international, you're drawing on a lot of talent from overseas. And then secondly, the actual market you're in. I'll start first with the latter. Tell us a little bit more about your software. And is it plug and play? How does it work for the small and medium-sized business? Sure. So our kind of core audience is actually professional marketers. And those are typically either working within a small agency, they might be working as a sort of freelance consultant on their own, servicing a number of customers, or they could be working in a bigger sort of SMB size company that has got the capacity to warrant having in-house marketing support. So not your typical one or two location businesses, whereas the business owner who's covering up a myriad of jobs and marketing is often one of those things that gets done last at the end of the day. Our software is quite powerful. And so it tends to be used more by kind of marketing professionals. It's a kind of cloud-based sort of SaaS solution, runs on a sort of free trial model. So people come along, they try it out, 14 days, if they, if they like what they see, they're getting value from it, then they kind of sort of sign up either on a kind of monthly or kind of sort of annual basis to, uh, to kind of keep using it. The software itself does a number of things. Essentially, it automates a lot of the kind of monitoring and reporting of sort of online visibility. So things, you know, because we're kind of local in nature, you've got a lot of kind of marketing SaaS platforms that do a lot of analytical work for very large enterprise type organizations that are dealing with either, let's say, British Airways, for example, or kind of MasterCard. You know, they're not local in nature. They're not drawing in their audience from a local catchment area that, let's say, a shop 
like a Home Depot might do, or a kind of chain of sort of solicitors across Texas, for example, kind of might do. They're looking to kind of capture audiences within the kind of towns and cities that they, they kind of operate. And that tends to be the market that we kind of go after. Our sort of platform focuses on understanding of visibility and things like kind of Google Maps, Bing, Facebook, Yelp, TripAdvisor, Apple Maps. A lot of those kind of powerful local online platforms, their potential customers are either using for a laptop, for a desktop, or obviously kind of on their mobile. And what our platform does is it helps obviously kind of track rankings, so it tracks where your visibility is in kind of Google, Google Maps, tracks both your kind of local entity and also your kind of website, which is an important distinction in, in our sort of space. We do a lot around online reputation, so help you track, monitor, and reply to reviews from a lot of different places through the dashboard, which you could think from a marketer's point of view is a huge time-saving exercise for them. They haven't got to monitor whether they're getting bad reviews in Yelp and TripAdvisor and Google. They can do it all on our platform and then they can reply to the reviews. They can also generate more reviews and reviews are a big part of kind of Google's local algorithm in terms of driving you up the kind of rankings, but also helping you to stand out from others. So a lot of the platform is kind of geared around helping you understand where you're ranking, identifying issues and opportunities you've got to improve that, and then helping you take control of some of those activities such as managing your online reputation. And are you primarily catering to the UK market or are you international? English-speaking territories mainly. I mean, our biggest market is the US. About 85% of our customer base is in the US, around 8% in the UK, 5% Canada, and then 3 or 4% Australia. And then the rest of the world, I mean, we don't, we're not really kind of geared to sort of serve that kind of marketplace. So we've got kind of under 1% of customers from there. But absolutely, the US is our kind of number one marketplace. Mm-hmm. And for the local business, what's kind of the first or the most important kind of media site or channel where they should be ranking at the top or near the top? It's absolutely Google and getting visibility both for their own website, so in the normal standard search results, making sure you're competing there. Also in this thing called Google My Business, which is kind of Google's own business directory, for one of a simple explanation. And that's actually an incredibly powerful place for local businesses to get a listing and optimize that listing, get reviews and boost themselves up the search results because that tends to appear higher up in the results than the typical website listings. And also the good thing about that for local businesses is because the local directory, you haven't got other large non-local organizations competing against you. So in the normal organic results, you've got to compete against the likes of Yelp or TripAdvisor in terms of getting visibility. But in the local results, you're just competing against other businesses who are serving customers locally. So it's more of a kind of level playing field for local businesses. Got it. And switching gears to kind of the entrepreneurial journey you've been on, And correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you've been very capital efficient. You've been more or less bootstrapping and trying to figure out how to kind of really optimize the resources kind of you have available to you. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Some of the folks we've had on raise a lot of capital, 100, 200 million, and they scale obviously that way and have a different strategy of scaling. But it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you've been scaling kind of more of the bootstrap way. Absolutely, yeah. So we obviously kind of founded ourselves in 2009. We kind of didn't really start making headway probably until sort of 2010. We did go out, so I've got a founding partner called Ed, who's our sort of CTO. We did initially kind of, you know, once we kind of formulated our idea, kind of put together our kind of plan in terms of the kind of product plan, what it's going to do, the sort of business plan. We did try and seek some initial investment from VCs and from the kind of angel community over in the UK. We didn't get very far with it, the kind of sort of honest answer on that front. 
I don't think the marketplace was particularly good at that time. Certainly wasn't very bullish kind of open investment market that I think you have in the US particularly now. And we got a lot of knockbacks. Some were kind of pretty brutal. But when I kind of look at it now through a pair of more experienced eyes, you know, at the time we had never run a company before, we had very little experience, we had no track record, and we didn't have any kind of customers. We had a sort of or a kind of proof of concept. And so I probably wouldn't have invested in me at that particular kind of point in time. So uh, we thought about doing it on our own and we had some revenue coming in from the kind of agency model that we ran. We just kind of reinvested that in the business in the early days. And I actually had a full-time job for a large part of the first kind of 18 months. And I was doing this stuff on the weekend and in the evenings and working classic sort of 16, 17 hour days just to kind of make it all work. And we just kind of intensively reinvested the profits that we made in those early days into additional kind of freelance sort of development support, freelance kind of outsource support where we could kind of get it. And just kind of brick by brick built us up to a position where actually in 2012, we became profitable, true profitable for the first time. I was able to focus on the business 100% from that kind of point onwards, as opposed to having a day job that paid me. I had three young kids at the time, three kids under five. And so I had some pretty heavy obligations on that side. I couldn't just throw everything in and go at it without having a kind of income stream. And then since then, we've grown on average around 20% year on year kind of revenue growth. And we've just been able to, to do that by reinvesting the profits that we've kind of sort of generated, roughly reinvesting 80% of the profits year on year. And a lot of the investment has gone into two areas. One is people. So it's bringing on more kind of capacity in the various teams that we need to bring in. And also in kind of technical infrastructure and data costs, ensuring that we could buy in the data that we needed. And then we could kind of scale the kind of platform and the infrastructure so that it was able to support that 20% increase in kind of customers sort of annually. And we find ourselves in a position today where we've been profitable for, what, last nine years, growing on average 20% a year. We're able to just expand our team at a kind of healthy, decent rate that enables us to keep investing in the platform, keep growing it, provide excellent support, do lots of kind of educational initiatives for our kind of customer base so that we go beyond just providing software as well. We've got a sort of services arm and also we focus a lot on education. So we have a bright local academy, we're looking at setting up kind of virtual training. We do a lot of research into the industry and then we publish that research and we just give it away to our audience so they can you know, understand best practice they can validate or improve their own strategies and tactics against the information that we kind of provide to them. And so far, it's proven a model that's been able to scale at a rate that we can control the growth of the business and maintain a really strong, healthy culture. What's the goal now? Like, obviously, you're growing. Do you plan on kind of continuing to build the business? Do you have an exit plan? Have you, have you thought of taking in outside capital to accelerate the growth? Our plan is basically just to maintain our trajectory of profitable long-term growth. And I see no reason why we can't continue with the model that we've got to grow 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%. We get contacted by a lot of VCs, a lot of sort of private equity sort of organizations looking to kind of get into the space and to invest in us. But our kind of growth plan, we're able to fund out of the profits now. We've got to have a healthy balance sheet. We're able to put cash away for a rainy day. We're able to expand the team, which is our number one cost center is people. We're able to expand that at a rate where we can meet our kind of strategic goals and bring in the people that really kind of add value to the culture, as well as bring in the necessary kind of technical skills and hard skills that we need. So at the moment, we're not looking around for any kind of investment. I think this leads into our, our leadership portion of the conversation. Can you tell us about a challenging time you've faced along the way in building the business and how you were able to deal with that challenging time, what you learned from it? This is the first company that I started, the first company I've run. 
And yeah, I find myself having to reinvent my role and who I am on an almost sort of six monthly basis as we reach another level of kind of growth, more people, instilling additional kind of line management structures just to sort of shift people into roles so they can have more impact, but also to share responsibility downwards and empower people to make kind of more decisions. And I find myself having to, every six months, going, my job is entirely different from what it was sort of six months ago. I've also never, I've never been sort of formally trained or had any kind of prior experience to being a CEO of a company this size. And so I constantly find myself with a large dose of imposter syndrome where I feel like I'm out of my depth. I feel like I really don't know what I'm sort of doing here. The way I kind of deal with that is actually just through being incredibly honest with people in the organization. Say, look, I feel constantly kind of out of my depth and trying to work things through. I haven't got a set playbook that I put into action three times that I know what to do in sort of every scenario. And what I find that does, actually, it brings more people into the conversation and empowers those around me to be able to kind of contribute more, to kind of support me and to sort of step up. That's a really positive, motivating thing for them because they feel they have more impact in the business. And it's created a culture where not things just don't really rest on my shoulders nearly so much as they're kind of used to. You know, we have a very distributed sort of decision-making kind of hierarchy, trying to push decision-making down sort of through the business so that people can make quick decisions, they can move forward, make mistakes, let's learn from them, pick ourselves up and share the insights from those mistakes so that others can benefit from them and not make them next time around. And that I see is a really healthy way of kind of growing the business so that it's not reliant on me, so that I'm not becoming a bottleneck around decision-making. And also it gives me a bit of space and freedom to learn and adapt to the new role that I'm in. I'm an avid reader and listener of sort of business and leadership books. And so I spend a lot of time kind of consuming those and picking out the kind of relevant salient bits that help me overcome the current challenges that I face. So that's probably for me personally is the constant ongoing. It's probably why I find the role incredibly satisfying because I'm always doing something slightly different every six months. Maybe one last question. Could you tell us, and you seem to have a fantastic interpersonal leadership style. Can you tell us about someone you admire, someone you maybe think about as you're making tough decisions and how would this person approach this problem? How would they frame it out? What steps would they take? Is there someone like that that comes to mind? Yeah, there's probably, I've probably got someone in my sort of personal life and sort of work life. The two people I feel I have taken quite a lot of inspiration from, from a sort of professional sort of standpoint. I'm a bit of a sort of disciple of sort of Simon Sinek and his view of how businesses can be more than just cash generating machines. They have the ability to have a higher purpose and to be forces of good in the lives of the people that work for them, in the lives of the people who come across them, customers, suppliers, etc. And so I see I see our ability as a business is is yes, it's one to kind of grow and to kind of be successful in that dimension, but almost more importantly to be a really positive force in the lives of the people that work within the business, sort of first and foremost. And ultimately, you know, if we can get that bit right, if we can keep people really happy, motivated, positive and growing, then all the other, a lot of other business challenges get solved by doing that. So we tend to work the people rather than work the problem is a way of kind of rising to the challenges. And so I do find sort of his view of how the role that businesses can have, the idea that we're in an infinite game, the resources are infinite, that we're not trying to win anything, we're just trying to be better every day. And our biggest competitor is ourselves from yesterday, i.e. we want to be better today than we were yesterday. And that's kind of the mantra that we kind of spread within the business. Let's not worry too much about what's going on outside the company. Let's just be better every day and we'll achieve our goals. Probably my biggest inspiration actually is my father. 
who was actually gave me a little bit of seed funding to start a business, a very sort of small amount that I'm now paying him back healthily on. But my father worked full time until he was 78. And he did a whole variety of jobs. He had probably five different careers, reinvented himself each time, doing something entirely different. He worked in logistics, and then he worked in PR, and then he worked as a bookkeeper. And he just kept finding ways to reinvent himself. And he did so without kind of ego. He always wanted to learn. He always wanted to be useful. He always wanted to be active, keep his brain sort of working. And he just enjoyed the challenge of learning something new and reinventing himself. And uh, so I find that's a really great way of looking at how I want to do. You know, I want to, to kind of constantly struggle to improve, want to kind of rise to kind of new challenges. And if my health holds up, maybe I'll have the capacity to kind of work five days a week up until I'm sort of 78 and keep my brain active. That's a great note to end on. It's a great goal. And we have clearly a very balanced leadership approach here that you described, which I think will our audience will really appreciate. And so thank you, Miles, for taking the time to chat with us. I know our audience will find this very insightful. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. 